You're not feeling like yourself anymore. You're not alone. Whether you're concerned about your weight, your energy level, a lack of sex drive, or hormone imbalance, solutions are waiting for you at NAVA Health. With a technology-driven approach, NAVA's medical experts craft custom plans that adapt as you progress, optimizing your health. Start feeling better now at navacenter.com forward slash POD. That's navacenter.com forward slash POD. Or call 855-680-6282. Results may vary. Thank you, good people, for your thoughts and non-prayers, and welcome back to another episode of The Nonprofits. The Nonprofits is a product of the ACA, a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to the separation of religion and government and promoting positive atheism. I am this week's conductor. You guys, it's my first week conducting. Ah, oh my God. I am Arden of Eden, and with me today are three lovely hosts. First on my left is Christy Powell. Howdy. And then we have our lovely and resident Cynthia. Hi, everybody. And Malti, how you doing? Very good, thanks. Hello, everyone. Awesome. So happy to see everyone. So happy to be here. Has anyone got any stuff they want to plug? Like, how's your week been? All that good stuff. Well, I guess we probably can't get into too much of the. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been listening to all kinds of new music that I hadn't um, been exposed to. Um, this being uh, International Non-Binary People's Day. Um, yes. My local radio station is playing non-binary artists all day long. So it's it's been really great. Awesome. Love to hear that. That's, that's a good, positive little jump off to our show. Um, so what do y'all say? Are we just going to dive right in? Are you good to kick it off? Yeah, there's a lot to do here. Let's do it. Yep. Take the lead, Malti, for this first article. Well, sure. So the first thing we'll be talking about are health care sharing ministries, um, which are not health care. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you just, so they uh, they share uh, what it is, is a wave with people that uh, share a con of set, common set of ethical or religious beliefs to then share medical expenses among the the nonprofit. It's a 501c3. Um, these, this is kind of a bastard child of the Affordable Care Act, uh, kind of got wedged in there. So people that um, um, would only want to um, say, provide healthcare for someone that didn't get in an accident where someone was drinking, um, then that would be um, one of the things they could do. It's, it's a really interesting idea. Um, idea i guess um they've i can i can go deeper into um what they are pros and cons and things like that but what all do you what else uh, do you have anything all the rest of you have a a little something about what you think of of these things or what you i think it's important to jump in and recognize that we like we're we're talking about healthcare uh, share ministries, which have been around, uh, I believe, I mean, in some form or fashion, really for a hundred years or more, but we're talking about something that was like legally created as an entity in the eighties, 
But really, really, the reason we're here talking about them now is because of the incredible incidents of fraud that we're seeing pop up around these types of ministries. And I I don't know, I think it's worth just kind of taking a moment here at the top to separate out the uh, like the intended purpose and the notion that we're wanting to be looking at versus like the incredible fraud that we're seeing here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. So, I mean, what they are uh, supposed to be is um, a generally less expensive um, in terms of premiums way for people to, um, to have some kind of coverage. Um, these are, as I said, healthcare sharing ministries are a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, and so that is, I think, leading into one of the reasons why there is this fraud is because they are not regulated by the insurance commissioner, but um, related by the state attorney general's office um, and the IRS. Um, so some people say that your uh, healthcare ministry might be better um, than like nothing at all. However, they can refuse coverage um, for a myriad of, of reasons. Um, so you, then that one thing about they don't have to pay for any procedures, that's not in line with their common held ethical or religious beliefs. Um, they, um, yeah, they won't cover pre-existing healthcare, uh, pre-existing conditions, um, and um, the membership is limited to people who, who share that common religious faith. Uh, a lot of people who are healthy find these to be um, a, a good alternative. I use good very loosely there. Mm. Um, you know, since they they're when they pay in, you know, if they're not paying out, if they, if they don't need to um, collect on it, it's it's a way of of covering their basis a little bit. But um, it makes the pool of insured people sicker if if the healthy people are leaving to go into these health share ministries. Um, Sure. And and that's where you see the problem here, right? Is uh, it's not that this is a bad idea. I mean, the whole notion is that a community would come together and say, we're going to support each other. If one of us gets sick, then everybody's going to jump in. And particularly for really insular communities that are looking to avoid connection to uh, wide scale insurance and really just the American healthcare system itself, which is a whole episode worth of bitching and belly aching that we can do uh, and will continue to do, I'm sure. But uh, it's worth just noting that this is not an inherently bad idea, that this is an opportunity for people in a small community to come together and to support one another. Where it has become a problem is that the like continuous gutting of the Affordable Care Act, the uh, constant efforts to erase the uh, individual mandate, and to basically dismantle and destroy a piece of legislation that was meant to ensure access to good, affordable insurance for the entire country has been under assault. And one of those assaults has been creating this sort of loophole where people can say that, well, because I am a member of a healthcare share ministry, well, I don't need to be a part of uh, Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act. And, you know, 
if this was a healthcare share ministry that was uh, was reasonable and that was actually like effective and useful, then sure, that might be a reasonable exemption for the legislation to include. But like you said, Malti, there is no regulation on these kinds of things. So what we have is not small communities banding together, offering to support one another, but instead basically a bunch of bullshit organizations that are printing out free exemption cards and saying like, yeah, yeah, send us a couple of dollars every month. And uh, sure, you, you've got coverage. So you don't actually have to participate in the national healthcare conversation. And, you know, even now that the uh, mandates around uh, joining the ACA have changed, that's where we that's how we got here. Right was by people just looking for an excuse and an opportunity to avoid being part of the national conversation. And it's causing some really big problems. And it's giving some people uh, a opportunity to be really taken advantage of while also taking advantage of the wide-scale system. So you said something very important, opportunity. And when we actually had like ACA uh, mandates that were put into place, that's when we actually saw an explosion of said healthcare ministries come into pass, right? This, uh, these particular pool sharing to take care of doctor bills, things of that nature, when it comes to like insular communities were very much so prevalent amongst like, you know, communities like the Amish, right? Mm -hmm. But they, but a lot of these particular uh, entities that were created, and a lot of them were created fairly recently, I would say like in the mid uh, mid 2000s, one say 2010, 2016, uh, up to 2016 is when we saw a lot of them like come up, right? Right. Yeah. And, after the creation of the Affordable Care Act, correct, all correct. of a sudden this loophole yeah. became incredibly tempting. Exactly. Yeah. And and people actually took advantage of it. But the thing is, in this, in this, because they keep saying or touting, we are not healthcare. We're not healthcare insurance, right? They feel they can oftentimes use these particular loopholes in order for them to say that we're not going to cover things like, you know, primary care visits, uh, pap smears, uh, you know, the, a simple things oftentimes that will denote if you are going to actually live a healthy life. Um, uh, Malta, you mentioned like if a person was drinking and maybe they actually had like a um, a car accident or what have you. Well, because they were just actually, fell down. Yeah, you know. Well, we're well. You know, hey, <laughs> that's on you, right? And um, and I think that one of the things that um actually led us to even talking about this is uh recently how one of the companies were being sued because a um a payer, I think it was actually a pool of people, were uh not getting coverage uh for a lot of different you know medical bills that they were being submitting to the healthcare ministry, specifically this one is uh, the Alira companies. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the judge actually, the federal judge, and this believe this is in Atlanta, um, actually has uh, ruled that the, um, that the lawsuit is going to move forward, which is huge because then what's going to end up happening is, is that there should be, and, and hopefully fingers crossed, that there will be a more stringent um, mandates placed on these particular, um, these particular healthcare ministries to actually operate. Um, 
I think that uh, one of the one of the people was uh, uh, actually said, well, actually, this is what the article said. It said the Allero companies uh, has always maintained it is not an insurance company. That's how it avoids following federal and state rules and laws that govern their issuers. But the judge disagreed. Um, and, and I think another thing is to preface that like a, a reason why a lot of people were, you know, leaving like maybe like a marketplace plan. It's because, and let's just keep it a buck, marketplace premiums can be very, very, very expensive. You know, I, I've, I've seen stories where premiums could be up to $2,000. And that's a lot of money to come out of, you know, every, you know, every month. I mean, like, yeah, that's I like mean, rent and a half. It's a, I, I don't want to call it a failed piece of legislation, but the Affordable Care Act uh, is failing because it's been, uh, it's had its legs cut out from under it. And this is one of the ways that that's happening. I mean, uh, let's, let's think about this whole process. People are looking to avoid participating in the Affordable Care Act or mm -hmm. some other form of insurance. This gives them a nice out. So they join a healthcare share ministry. Right. Then something bad happens to them and they need medical coverage, mm -hmm. but because their healthcare share ministry isn't held to the same standards or really in a lot of ways, kind of any standards, right. they're recognizing that they don't have coverage. So on the one hand, I think you could see this as uh, sort of, you know, people being taken advantage of. And, and that's certainly what the judge is looking at here. These things look like insurance. They smell like insurance. They seem like insurance, but the premiums are really affordable. And mm -hmm. so people might be uh, being defrauded out of the healthcare coverage that they need. You could also choose to see this as a form of comeuppance for people who have been avoiding actually participating in the system and joining into the society that we all exist in. And I, I know when you start using society and some of these other words around healthcare and insurance, we start talking about single payer and communism and all of these like really <laughs> scary socialist ideals. And that is the boogeyman that people are trying to avoid. So if you want to see this as people just getting their just desserts by not doing their part and participating in society, that's somewhat valid. And I, I think that we can acknowledge that that's a piece of this conversation. But mm -hmm. we're also talking about actual living, breathing human beings with dire medical needs that are being told to basically fuck off because yeah. they didn't uh, have the right type of coverage. Uh, and that is incredibly frustrating. So I'm glad that this lawsuit's moving forward. And I hope it leads to change and reform. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lawsuit um, and the attorney general of um, Washington state actually ordered Alira to pay $1 million for selling right. illegal health insurance. This was in 2020. And um, they, um, Asked a judge, "Hey, man, we're we're a healthcare sharing ministry, um, but the judge said no. You're acting as insurance, and you're doing a very poor job of it." There's there's another little wrinkle here that so these there was only supposed to be a, a small pool of these health share ministries in that they had to have been uh, instantiated before 1999. Mm -hmm. um, however. Alera was substantiated before then, but Trinity, who is now using Alera as their clearinghouse, pretty much. Yeah, saying, shell company. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. So since since Alera has it, then we'll just um, partner with Alera, and now we 
can can do this too or or say hey we are a part of the baptist convention they've mm -hmm. been around for over a hundred years right so we've we've been around even though it's a brand new incorporation we've been around for over a hundred years as well that's the loophole that oftentimes that these companies are um oftentimes uh, actually hooking up with other organizations, faith-based organizations, in order for them to operate. Um, I don't know if any of you all actually got a chance to see the segment on uh, John Oliver's, uh, what's, what is his show called? Uh, Last Week Tonight. Last week, yeah, thank you. I know that he actually did a whole segment about uh, healthcare sharing ministries, and uh, he actually created one from his uh and and used uh the the church thing that he created our our lady of perpetual something exemption uh, and thank you because that's exactly what it is right a tax exemption rather mm -hmm. and you know because at that particular company uh that uh church that they created was around for that around that time period they were actually able to you know create a healthcare share ministry just like that and it was incredibly easy to do. And that is so problematic. Like, I would think that in, in, in any entity that's, a, that's uh, affording business licenses or any type of license to operate in states, they, these types of, um, of organizations need a hell of a lot more scrutiny than what they're getting, uh, which is really nothing at all. Yeah. yeah, it's a microcosm of everything that we're seeing uh, in the current debate around the separation of church and state. You know, we, we all come together. We all agree on what some good rules and policies and laws might look like. We debate, we argue, we vote, and then we settle on something. But then we create all of these exemptions for sincerely held beliefs. And that whole notion of sincerely held belief has been expanded and expanded and expanded to include this opportunity to basically have bullshit get out of insurance free cards. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, and uh, on that kind of note of this will get out of insurance free thing. And I think this has been touched on a little bit by some of y'all already. I. I do empathize with where like a lot of these people are coming from. Cause I mean, like I, I, we talked about this a little bit in the pre-show and that I, I wasn't able to find the specific primary source, but this has been something that has been cited back going like decades that people who are uninsured, people dying due to preventable causes because they were uninsured, that the numbers like range a lot. Um, I've seen as low as uh, 3,300 to 25,000, um, but like, I think everyone probably has a personal story or might even know someone in their own life who, you know, got prescribed medicine by a doctor and their insurance company still won't cover it. The one, yeah. the legitimate insurance company that they're paying for. So I understand oh, yeah. why these communities who are frustrated, like feeling like they're not being taken care of by their government, who are part of a faith community, will look to an organization like this and think, well, these people have stayed by me in, you know, in my personal communities why not turn to them in this kind of situation? And and you can see through the marketing of companies like Alira that they completely play on people's, you know, their expectation of that kind of community to support them and the, uh, like how analogous they are to insurance companies and their advertising mm -hmm. um, to get people involved. But right, and then you have situations where someone has like this little girl who had uh, a brain surgery and then all of a sudden she has a $300,000, I think it was $300,000 bill. $350,000 bills. Yeah, $350,000 bill. 
that they get sent after that. Like mm-hmm. that's it's truly heartbreaking that these communities thought they had someone they could rely on and that, you know, the the system has failed them and then their own communities uh, took advantage of them and failed them. Uh, it, I think it truly just reveals how much of a uh, issue healthcare is in general in the United States right now. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. E- even from a legitimate perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all of this fraud is definitely taking place, at least in large part, because people are desperate and because there isn't a uh, a better opportunity. And and quite frankly, people are being lied to. You know, I've, I've kind of created accurately or inaccurately this uh, dichotomy of like fraud versus comeuppance and people sort of getting what they deserve or whether or not they're being taken advantage of. But the reality is everybody who is participating in these healthcare share ministries is being fed a message uh, that is coming from people that know absolutely what's going on. Uh, And a lot of this messaging is coming from the top, and it is just incredibly aggravating to see possible solutions like the Affordable Care Act, which was not perfect in its inception by any means, but has been... uh, basically demonized as the reason why everything is going wrong in our current healthcare system, even though the Affordable Care Act itself has been sabotaged at every possible step. It's uh, it's frankly just really exhausting. I don't blame people for wanting to opt out of the conversation, but here we are. If we don't take this shit seriously, we're not going to get anywhere. Yeah. Beautifully yeah. said. Uh, last thoughts from Cynthia and Multi as well. Uh, anything else you want to tag on there? I, I just wanted, there was this one portion I, uh, of one of the articles that we were, um, that we were given and that said that it's a hundred percent true that when it comes to how healthcare sharing ministries can legally discriminate against needy paying customers because of factors ranging from tobacco use to alcohol or drug use, to being gay, to having sex outside of marriage, to literally anything they and they alone determine is outside the bounds of their particularly particular judgmentally lawsuit-proof brand of corporate Christianity. Hmm. Another reason why Christianity rules everything. That's my final thought. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I couldn't say it better. Um, So, yeah, if if this um, shows anything, the the need for single payer is even more dire. Agreed. Uh, So before we move on to the next article, I want to remind our viewers that if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to this channel and click the like button below. Set the notification bell to on so that you're always notified when a new episode premieres every Sunday at 3 p.m. Central Time. Uh, And we are now officially over 8,000 subscribers. So hooray to us. Way to go, everybody. Uh, Once we hit 10,000, we can start doing fundraisers. So if you haven't subscribed yet, you can help us get there by doing so now. And you can share the link to your channel, to our channel with your friends, families, and coworkers, and maybe even to that neighbor guy you don't really like. Uh, Anyone and everyone, uh, let's get the word out there so we can start helping with those fundraisers. Uh, The ACA also has a new YouTube channel. Uh, Check out the Atheist Experience Network, a one-stop shop for all the ACA shows in podcast form in one channel. Subscribe at tiny.cc slash AEN podcasts to listen to episodes of The Nonprofits, AXP, Truth Wanted, and all of our other shows so you don't miss a single episode. 
thank you for mentioning secular sexuality is in and all your all our other shows and the rest we've got some great programming check it out in my defense it wasn't on the script but secular sexuality is my favorite show on, on the aca network so I'll, I'll say that um very underrated but uh our next article uh, Boy Scouts reach $850 million settlement with tens of thousands of sexual abuse victims. So in this story, I think this has been talked about a lot in the, uh, for years, this has kind of been a thing that's been, you know, being voiced and dragged out. Um, I believe there are over 80,000 alleged victims. And I think, uh, I want to make sure I get this right. Was it 20,000 that were involved in this particular uh, lawsuit that's upcoming. Um, uh, as I understand it, all 80,000 victims uh, are eligible as part of this lawsuit, but they okay. are represented possibly by a number of different lawyers and law firms. It's a uh, it's a very, very complex suit because it is the biggest uh, class action sexual assault lawsuit ever brought in this country. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's truly horrible and i mean i think it's great that there is at least like you know some sort of accountability coming but i think one of the survivors in the um uh the nbc uh uh segment that they recorded i uh, was mentioning you know that like he he had lost like a you know some of his family had already passed away and that he wasn't even able to talk about this with them and like how could you ever put you know a price tag on repairing you know what what emotional damage he's gone through, what things he's lost, what things he's never going to get back due to the abuse he was su that he suffered that was like, largely ignored for decades. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, what are you, how are you all feeling? What are, what are you thinking about this? Uh, I just wanted to preface really quick, according to the article, that more than 84,000 people are part of the lawsuit against mm -hmm. the, um, the Boy Scouts of America. And... Um, the uh, the lead attorneys, I believe, Ken Rottweiler and Eisenberg Rockweiler in Philadelphia represents the largest group of claimants, which is about over, according to the article, more than 16,800 people. Yeah. 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 So um, a little bit of how the soup is made um, on my side, um, I actually do talk about um, what I'm going to be talking about um, to um, to the community, um, the atheist community, um, and to get some feedback and to get um, to use a sounding board. And one of the things that was brought up was the same type of abuse that occurred in the um, in athletics, um, especially the uh, Paralympic and the Olympic um, committee um, went through lawsuits was it 20 years ago or so now um, with um, the men's basketball or no, excuse me, men's wrestling and women's gymnastics. And um, out of that came the U S center for safe sports. And this is a nonprofit uh, that is separate from the Olympics. I'm sorry, I'm going on a tangent, but um, it, it, I think it makes sense. Um, and what they're there for is to train, to teach, to observe, and to report on sexual abuse in sports to decrease its occurrence. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I think the Boy Scouts might need some kind of regulation like minor league sports, like this, um, to, um, to try to prevent this from going on in um, – 
forward, you know? Um, yeah. Hmm. The, in the article, they did they did mention that going forward, um, they are they're kind of introducing some new policies to make sure that kids are never alone with uh, one adult at a time, which I think is you know it's a it's a start it's something because I mean definitely you know being alone with a kid in in and of itself isn't a risk factor, but when people have other risk factors of being abusers, putting them in a position of power and privacy with a child is like a recipe for. Um, abuse. I know they're also introducing like background checks and things like that, but mm -hmm. I, I don't know how you guys are feeling. I know I am kind of feeling like while I understand how uh, important this organization is to some people and, uh, you know, maybe it's possible that it could survive in some sort of fashion, it, it kind of feels to me like maybe it's time for like a complete rebranding, like like a new name, like maybe it's just the Scouts or Maybe this organization dies altogether and a like completely separate one from the ground up is started in its fashion, uh, in uh, in its place. What, is that yeah. going to resonate with you guys? Yeah, that was what left me so frustrated about so much of the conversation around this. Uh, there is valid concern. I, I, I get it of people worrying about, well, what if uh, the Boy Scouts of America or even just the individual Boy Scout chapters are then forced to sell off assets. Now these uh, pristine summer camps that have been in existence for uh, 20, 40, 50, sometimes some as much as 100 years are being like sold off in order to uh, liquidate funds and, and provide support to these victims. Uh, and what if like future generations of Americans don't have that opportunity? And you know what? I, I'm not looking for that. Like, I'm not looking to take away the opportunity to uh, enjoy outdoorsmanship and, and some of these things from young children. But this is not an organization that you had found in 2021. You know, there is so yeah. much of why this organization exists that is wrapped up in nostalgia. And that nostalgia makes me angry because... Mm -hmm. Not only did this happen, not only did this continue to happen, not only was this allowed and uh, uh, facilitated to continue to happen, but so much of the conversation that empowered this abuse was around the idea that the perpetrators of this abuse were just garden variety gay men. I, I think that that absolutely needs to be brought into the conversation that when we first started to hear stories about this type of abuse coming out in the uh, 90s and, and even after that, so much of the narrative was, well, we need to run background checks, which, yes, certainly you're hanging out with children, but we need to prevent all gay men from participating in the Boy Scouts of America. That's that's the legacy of this organization. And if we're not going to really grapple with that, then I don't need this organization to continue to exist. If they're not going to like meaningfully address that history and own that narrative, then I, I don't know that they need to be saved. I don't know that we need to be all nostalgic and have all of these rose-covered glasses about what this organization is or has been in the past. You know, the, this is, so the wrestling point is how, how can we take like some of the good portions that um, let's, that the Boy Scouts of America gave to kids like like you mentioned christy the outdoorsmanship right uh running i don't know how many times over the summer that my parents have sent me outside because i was driving them nuts because i need to run around and go play sure. and you know and i and i of course like i've done like um 
uh, summer camps and things of that nature. And 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 you do learn skills and and you do uh, actually be able to build relationships and and all those things are very important uh, in order to help you know develop a, a, a well-adjusted human being. But the problem is. It's especially with uh, organizations, and I would even uh, go even further with faith-based organizations that actually work with children, is, and, and especially if they don't have background checks the way that they should, that is going to be an open door for predators. Mm. I'm glad you use that term, faith-based organization, which this is. I it mean, is. Let's, not mm -hmm. keep in, let's keep in mind that this is a means of indoctrination into Christianity. Yes, it uh, is. And, and nationalism. And nationalism. Which I don't know how much more white Christian nationalism we really need. None. We need none of that at all. <laughs> Fair. Um, okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Negative 200% on that Indeed. one. Yeah. Indeed. You know, and then another thing that I kind of like um, glean from like, you know, my even my cursory research on this whole issue um, is that one of the things that they mentioned um, about when they were filing for Chapter 11 protection, because since these lawsuits were coming, the Boy Scouts of America start bleeding money. And so they were asking for protection or if we just if create like a fund that, um, you know, people could, you know, use or, you know, to pull from to cover these lawsuits, let's do that. And then they, you know, they'll get like bankruptcy protection. But, you know, one of the things that um, I believe that one of the spokespeople said that we are heartbroken that we cannot undo their pain. And they also mentioned that, well, you know, the last claim was over 30 years ago. But the thing about it is, is that, and, we, and we've seen this even with other uh, organizations um, concerning like the, um, the age of claims, that just because that the last claim that you got was over 30 years ago does not necessarily mean that that is the last claim or the last incident that happened. Sure. I mean, you know, and I, and I would not, I'll bet you by golly wow, my last bottom dollar that there's going to be way more claims and way more instant in incidences that have not been reported concerning sexual abuse with this particular organization. Sure. And uh, it's worth recognizing that this money is not just a punishment. Right. Like that's perhaps a consideration here. Uh, but this is money that is meant to compensate victims and to support victims. I mean, I uh, I have not worked with a Boy Scout myself, but I have worked in this type of field. And I'll tell you what, I'm not cheap. You know, these types of uh, bills are add, add up very, very quickly. And it's worth recognizing that I don't know if 850 million is enough. I don't know that we can really answer that by talking to the lawyers. You're going to uh, get a very different and complex answer there. But it is just heartbreaking to recognize uh, the, the lack of options and opportunities here. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, another thing that I actually found on um, this, um, this story was uh, I looked at a, a story about a, um, about a man who was telling what happened to him about 58 years ago uh, uh, when, when he was in, um, when he, when he was in the Boy Scouts, uh, if, if, if I may, if you give me a little leeway. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, 58 years ago, uh, Ed, Edward, uh, Pitson said, the scoutmaster who had taught him skills like how to use a compass and light a campfire said he was going to teach Pitson about sex. 
the scoutmaster invited Pitson, who was 12, to his house and asked him to lie on the bed. The man assured the boy he had seen other Boy Scouts naked. This is the normal way to learn about sex. Pitson recalls the scoutmaster telling him, he said, but don't tell your parents what I'm doing. They wouldn't think you're mature enough. They wouldn't understand. The man told him a dirty story, pulled down his pants and masturbated him. Pitson can't remember if this happened one time or if the scoutmaster invited him over again a few weeks later. But he does remember pulling up his pants after a few minutes and walking out of the room. He called after me, calling me a baby and trying to make me feel guilty, Pitson recalls. I just want to go home. And then it says, about four years later, Pitson, around 16 and furious that a man remained a scoutmaster, told his parents what had happened. He says his parents went to the bishop at their local church in Northern California, the same church that sponsored the Boy Scouts troop. And the scoutmaster was quietly removed from his position. Pitson said he also spoke to the bishop, but as far as he knows, nobody reported the scoutmaster to the police. And where have we heard accounts like that before? Mm -hmm. Fair to say. Yeah. So in, in talking to um, fellow atheists who have children, children that are um, scouting age and have um, participated in scouts, they're, um, they're torn uh, whether or not to continue to have them um, participate in this, um, in, in scouting. One, because um, they don't want to be um helping the boy scouts making it easier for them to to pay the it's it's strange because you want is as you said christy you work these this payout is for the victims it it is you know in, in somewhat to try to heal and in in somewhat um as as a recompense i guess but um then you know, my friends are like, I, I want to be able to provide the kids with some this this experience, um, but maybe we'll do t-ball um, because maybe we just um, something else that that is athletic. Um, you don't need to uh, you don't need to learn to tie knots, but you know, it still gets some some activity, and you have the team building aspects of sports and you you have the communication skills as well I, again that's, that's something else that is going to be needed to be watched and um but um hearkening back you know um the u.s center for safe sports and um being part of safe sports is something that i think a lots of different sports um groups can be a part of it is a nonprofit that is already established and is doing this work the boy scouts right now i don't know i i really would love to see an a separate overseeing body in um put in place um if that uh that would be one good step i think hmm. yeah so for now why don't we move on to our next segment um and if christy if you would wouldn't mind if you could um lead us in on this 
Okay, yeah, uh, we're going to be talking about a article that was published in the journal uh, Secularism and Non-Religion. Uh, this is a uh, research piece that is uh, doing a basically a data analysis on some large spread uh, general survey information that's widely available, uh, looking at whether or not atheists are being discriminated against by Christians and other religious groups, and also whether or not uh, atheists themselves are discriminatory towards religious groups. Uh, basically, the article itself is a, something of a, a research review and then does its own meta or data analysis and comes to uh, some somewhat interesting conclusions i don't know i guess we'll we'll get into it a, a little bit but i think it's important to remember that regardless of the maybe the claims of this article or, or the way that we might otherwise try to frame it uh that it is looking to answer a very very simple question like it kind of talks about all of these different possibilities uh but Ultimately, in my mind, all this uh, this research paper really serves to do is ask the question whether or not uh, religious groups discriminate against atheists and vice versa. But even that definition of atheist is uh, is kind of fuzzy. I, I don't know. I'll, we'll get into that here in a bit, I, I guess. But what was y'all's reaction to this piece? Hmm. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I first like to point out that I literally laughed out loud when Jeff Sessions was quoted. Uh, mm. And the quote was, uh, I do believe that we are a nation that without God, there is no truth. And it's all about power, ideology, advancement, agenda, not doing the public service. So that that was Jeff Sessions. So give it, let's, let's, let's say a lot of pause and think of that because that's Jeff Sessions. Okay, moving on. Um, you know, one of the things that is that I think that struck a chord with me specifically when we're talking about uh, theistical groups that um, look at atheists any in in some shape, way, or form. You know, there's oftentimes perpetuated tropes. You know, we're not moral. Uh, people want uh, people want to be atheists so that they can sin. Uh, I, my favorite is uh, atheists worship the devil. I know that's exactly what we don't do. We don't we don't even <laughs> believe in the devil. <laughs> you know, atheists have no purpose. Uh, that I I've gotten that one before. Like, well, how? Where do you get your purpose? I'm like me. Uh, <laughs> atheists don't believe in anything. You know, and and I know that you're probably going to get into you know what really what what is an atheist. You know, uh, I I think like oftentimes like people look at like atheism is a worldview, atheism is a philosophy, atheism is all, and, and it's none is none of those things. It answers one question, like literally one question: Do you believe in a guy? Nah. Moving mm -hmm. on, <laughs> you know. So, um, but I, I think that like when it when it comes to these particular tropes and like what we're trying to dispel, even when we're talking about favoritism and non favoritism, and then how we're even perceived, I think you pretty much get my point. Yeah, you, you know, despite um also the uh, maybe the more controversial and spicy aspects of this article, like the exciting Jeff Sessions, or we can talk more. I know a multi in your notes, you, you mentioned some of the, uh, the other citations have some pretty wild titles and things like that. Um, that 
uh, Christy, I think maybe you were, this is kind of what you're alluding to, but the, the data itself seemed pretty non-controversial to me and pretty in line with some other literature that has been uh, uh, backed uh, through re relatively reliable sources, uh, meaning that like, uh, in as much as uh, that atheists are looked on pretty poorly uh, by a lot of other in-groups, but that atheists have a maybe a slight in-group bias, but not really that much of a, I guess just more to say that atheists are very not monolithic. They're a very broad range of people because as you were pointing out, Cynthia, atheists, atheism is literally the answer to one question. You can be an atheist and you can believe in like ghosts and a lot of really crazy things. I, I have, believe it or not, met some atheists who believe in some, maybe crazy is the uh, offensive word to use in that situation, but believe in some uh, uh, things you can't prove. Um, right. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, it was interesting when I was looking at this article in that um, it's coming from a um, an open source um, publisher yeah, that has other journals like Metaphysics um, and even the, the title of this journal of Secularism and Non-Religion um, made me kind of wonder, okay, what am I kind of walking into here um, but when I start digging down into it and I I see the citations that they're putting out and it's just all it's doing is making my reading list longer and longer <laughs> I, I, some of these articles were just wonderful um, atheist horns and religious halos mental <laughs> representation of atheists and theists you know Wish atheist and other cultural outsiders uh, moral boundaries and the non-religious in the United States, you know, why are you atheists so angry? 99 things that piss off the godless. Um, that's Greta Christina. She was on the show, actually. She was on Atheist Experience back in 2016. We should get her back. Um, so, yeah, um, I, as I continued to go through and what I found as I read through this is just I just kept on nodding along with what they were saying is, these are things that I find that are just are so known to be true. I'm just like it, it didn't. I didn't need to d um, dig very deep to find that, that what they were saying had had merit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like I'm gonna disagree a, a little bit with Cynthia here, and and honestly, most of our audience, and and perhaps each of you, uh, and and I'm a little bit okay with that. But I, I really want to look at this idea of atheism being the answer to a singular question. I, I feel like that is a really common talking point within our community and one that we perhaps need to do a better job of grappling with. Mm -hmm. uh, for, forgive me if this is a, uh, a wasted metaphor on, on some of you folks, but uh, as a fighting Texas Aggie myself, I graduated from the University of Texas A&M. And I uh, am very, you know, passionate about our sports team, just like everybody who goes there. And, you know, we are uh, members of a group that all have that shared commonality. And part of being an Aggie, of course, is hating on the University of Texas Longhorns and, you know, that rivalry and Aggies versus Longhorns, that whole thing. OK, so now the folks who don't live here in Austin are, are caught up. Part of the conversation around that narrative is that uh, the uh, universe that Texas A and M is in a small town of about two hundred thousand people. 
uh, and has a university of about 100,000 people. So it is a college town. It is not a town with a college in it, as opposed to Austin, which is not a huge metropolitan area, but there's something of a vacuum here. There's not a lot of professional sports in the immediate space around Austin. So a lot of folks in San Antonio and the surrounding, you know, uh, couple, uh, like 10 years ago, the Longhorns used to have the opportunity to compete for a couple of national championships, had a lot of uh, media coverage and, and things like that. So there's this narrative in this rivalry where if you uh, see somebody wearing a Aggie t-shirt, that's probably a person who has at the very least been to the Texas A&M campus. If they didn't go to Texas A&M themselves, they have a friend or a family member and they have a connection to that university. Whereas they say, if you see somebody wearing a UT Longhorns t-shirt, that person went to Walmart or to HEB and that's where they got their shirt because there's this uh, huge crowd of people that sort of claim connection to or affiliation with the university, but that aren't deeply connected to it. And that is a huge issue that comes up and that is covered in this article or in this research study, because when we talk about religious affiliation, we have some very like loose terms, like nobody describes themselves as being a cultural atheist, you know, whether or not people believe in a God or a God's when people identify as an atheist, they are almost exclusively talking about atheist activists. They are talking about people who knowingly and intentionally have made a specific decision not to be a nun, not to be somebody who just doesn't believe in God, but who actually believes, if not in the positive atheism espoused by the ACA, by the ACA Positive atheism here, meaning the idea that atheism should do something, that it should make the world a better place. Uh, because we don't necessarily have that distinction in the research, that word atheism starts to become kind of useless in a lot of ways. And so when we talk about atheism as a community, I feel like we need to do a better job of recognizing that distinction between a belief in a God or gods versus people that are actually interested in helping to uh, deconvert folks to uh, create a wall of separation between church and state. And that's where this whole study starts to fall apart for me, because they're talking about the prejudices and the biases against people who are labeled as atheists, when what they really mean is people who are actively working to dismantle religion. At least that was my reading of it. Thank you all for letting me go on, on that long rant. Did I make any sense whatsoever? <laughs> I mean, you, you gave me something to think about. I, I will say that, Christy. I, I mean, and I, and I guess that one of the reasons why I have a tendency to, and I'm not going to say dig my heels because like if I am presented with a different argument that makes more sense, I have a tendency to go with that one, you know, or, you know, reasoning that makes more sense. Um, and, and I get what, what you're saying because like, yes, uh, when I think that what ended, what, what ends up happening now with, with atheism itself and that, and I'm using a very broad, in a broad way that, you know, when you say you're atheist, it kind of leads to this, it kind of leads to this, it kind of leads to this. Like, you know, oftentimes people who say that they're atheists also say, I'm also a secular humanist. Um, and then you also have people who, who are like 
purposely atheist activists are working in different circles in order to really make set up these separations between church and state or religion and state and um and, and like you and you have organizations that have you know um uh organized for lack of a better term uh, around these issues that you know uh threaten that right but i and i and i suppose that like where I, I kind of, my brain kind of leads off to when I think of specifically what is an atheist and what in, does it encompass a whole lot of stuff or is it just this one thing? And, um, and I guess like for me, and, and this is just my own personal like observations when these particular conversations come up is that atheists can have such varying views on a, on a plethora of subject matter. Um, oftentimes, and, and I think that the article kind of talks about this a little bit, you know, or, you know, we have alluded to it in the past about how like more atheists have a tendency to be more progressive in their politics. They have a tendency to, uh, to be more socially leaning. They have a tendency, um, you know, to be more um, vocal about, you um, uh, issues that affect marginalized communities, um, but that's that's not but that's not a preface to doing those things or or even like you know speaking on social justice per se. Like you have you have some atheists that are racist, right? You, you have yeah. some atheists that are you know. Um, uh, I mean, I can find Christians that are pro life and pro abortion. Oh, yeah. I can find yeah. Christians that are are just as diverse. I, I don't know that that is any different in the atheism community. I, I guess my only point is that 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 idea that atheist means a lack of belief in a god or yeah. gods mm -hmm. is a definition that makes sense and is good, and we perhaps we could or should use it. But that's mm -hmm. not how words work. When people say the right. word atheist, they have a definition in mind, and that's not it. Pardon? That's true. That, I, I, I do I agree. agree. I was going to say, I do think that the article did distinguish between what they were calling atheists and non-religious atheists. And I think the atheist category was more of like kind of what you're talking about, Christy, the... Uh, the, the the group that maybe like gets together and does things uh the maybe the more uh, like the american atheists uh or anything like that groups those are groups the that people are, that are captured in this study yeah right yeah. They, they did mention that they sampled i believe like a non-religious atheist which is just kind of meant to be sort of like a a maybe someone who is culturally christian um like an equivalent mm. um but i i imagine uh, it wasn't entirely clear to me from the data, um, like how I'm pretty sure they said they had a pretty weak um, effect size too for um, their feelings towards other groups. Um, but there was like a, like marginal differences that were maybe worth mentioning. Um, or sorry, what you said? Yeah, one of the things that I found interesting was when they were trying to gauge what Christians' views of atheists were and, and how they were doing that. I don't know that. I mean, I'm trying to understand you, Christy, in that when you're saying, it, are those the atheists that you think that they were trying to prime these Christians to be to be thinking about when they're they were doing this threat based approach to their to kind of find out what these college student atheists were, what what their feelings towards anti atheism was or. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, when they are a what, what the study effectively does is demonstrate the fact that uh, people of different religious groups tend to have in-group cohesion and out-group uh, discrimination, uh, and we can demonstrate that in a lot of different ways. But that we generally see atheists as perhaps the most hated out-group. Uh, yeah. That members of other groups tend to look down on atheists. If you are a Muslim, you are more likely to look down on atheists than you are on Christians, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, And I... I see that in the data. I think that this is an interesting study. I think that they did a good job of demonstrating that using the kind of crude methods that they did because this was not their research. This was using uh, uh, other forms of data. But nevertheless, my only point is that when they use the word atheist in this study, when they are talking to Christians about how they feel about atheists or talking to Jews about how they feel about atheists, you're not able to control exactly what that word means in those people's minds. And I'm telling you that it doesn't mean a person who lacks a belief in God or gods. It means a person who is actively working to dismantle their belief system, which is not untrue, but it's a, it's an Mm. important distinction. And it's one that I feel our community has done a, perhaps a poor job of really grappling with. Well, maybe this is more so, a call to action of us or, you know, people who are like-minded as far as like who consider themselves activists in this realm. Um, you know, I, I know that I've had pers- I have conversations uh, with people who are friends and family who are, who question me about being atheist. And oftentimes what's in their head about what led me to being an atheist is completely the opposite of what led me to being an atheist or even like my stance on issues and my own worldview. And and I think that I agree that, you know, the atheist community at large has not really been, maybe not that, um, uh, uh, you know, effective in uh, communicating, you know, what you know, atheism is. And I I would say part and partial is maybe because we're still very small within a world, or even even if we're looking at the country that's like largely Christian or largely theistical, right? And then, um, and then also, you know, there's still these, these stereotypes, these tropes in, in, in the article actually even points out some of them, what uh, others think about what a you know, what an atheist is. So um, I'm grateful for the ACA and other organizations who really try to, um, uh, to really capture the narrative of what that is. Because once, like, even when I had these conversations with others and I, and I kind of like, you know, uh, explain my, my stance or what have you, it does have a tendency to disarm them. You know, when I say, yeah, hey, guess what? I don't cook babies on the weekend. I know, I know you thought I did, but I don't. You know, I, I, I care about things just like as much as you do. I, I care about doing charity. I care about my fellow human being. I, I care about a lot of these things, and I, and I do participate in uh, different organizations. It doesn't even matter if they're faith-based or not. As long, are you doing good? Hey, I'm down. You know, and, and there's more people who may just lack a belief that are like that as well. Um, so I, I, to me, again, I think this is a, an opportunity 
uh, uh, the word of the day that Christy likes to use, an opportunity <laughs> sure. for us to, you know, to really be able to get in front of the narrative and maybe, you know, change some more minds. Awesome. That is a great point. Yeah, to um, to be able to, um, you know, normalize atheism um, in, in a way that, uh, so we don't have this, oh, you're a member of the, are you the ones that are putting up the Baphomet statues or, um, you know, whatever else there are, I think there is some good that's coming out of, you know, showing the privileges that religious organizations do, um, enjoy and how the discrimination is there. Um, though the way that they do it, I do agree, um, may leave believers feeling insulted or patronized or, um, you know, and yes, it, you know, Babies take a while. It's not just a weekend thing. I mean, it's it's a slow cook. So yeah, you know, it started on Thursday. Awesome. Uh, well, does anyone have any last thoughts before we want to move on to our last article of the night or the of the episode? Oh, no, we're good. I think. All right. Well, uh, I'm getting a little echo. Um, I meant to do uh, this little blurb too uh, after the second article, but I was called back to the the shadow realm by our dark lord. Um, uh, but I would like to invite the viewer, invite the viewers, goodness, to join our fan social media outlets. Uh, you can find most of the nonprofit hosts on the Atheist Community of Discord uh, by going to tiny.cc slash ACA Discord and on Facebook at facebook.com slash group slash nonprofits live. If you would like to support the show, you can also do so by becoming a nonprofit patron at patreon.com slash the nonprofits. Support the ACA by shopping at smile.amazon.com and selecting the Atheist Community of Austin as the beneficiary. If you find yourself already shopping at Amazon, be sure to use that link to help out the ACA. We really appreciate it. It does do a lot to help. So with that, though, uh, we just spent all that time talking about... Um, you know, maybe kind of uh, perceptions of uh, the religious community towards atheism. But our next article, Cynthia is going to take the lead on, uh, kind of talks a little bit maybe towards uh, theistic perceptions generally. Indeed. And I believe this is a <clears throat> step in the right direction. Step in the right direction. Yes. Step in the right direction. Let's step, step, step in the right direction. Yeah. Okay. You got your singing, people. There you go. So this particular article is entitled White Gen X and Millennial Evangelists, Evangel Evangelicals rather, are losing faith in the conservative culture wars. Uh, and I'm just going to read a little bit from the article. And it says, since the 1970s, white American evangelicals, a large subsection of Protestants who hold to a literal reading of the Bible, have often managed to get a specific get specific privileges through their political engagement, primarily through supporting the Republican Party. In the 1980s, President Ronald Reagan, and I may remember him quite well, symbolically consolidated the alliance by bringing religious freedom and, mor and morality into public conversations that questioned the separation of church and state. And in 2003, and I just found this out, President George W. Bush signed the partial birth 
abortion ban act into law. And in October 2020, President Donald Trump appointed a conservative Christian, Amy Coney Barnett, sorry, to the Supreme Court and went on to win 80% of the white evangelical vote in the following month's election. And Trump went as far to appoint faith consultant board composed of influential evangelical leaders that included Paula White, a well-known pastor and televangelist, and James Dobson, founder of Focus on the Family, and a lead a leading organization in the evangelical effort to embed family values into politics. And these panel members heralded gestures by Trump, such as assigning the presidential executive order promoting free speech and religious liberty, which targeted enforcement of the Johnson Amendment, a 1954 tax law requiring houses of worship to stay out of politics in order to remain tax exempt. Um, and I just want to just run along and say here that although it's debate on where specifically uh, constituents and uh, was constitute uh, uh, constitutes an evangelical. Many agree that they are conservatives who are highly motivated by culture wars in issues like abortion, same-sex marriage, and sexuality. But even though evangelicals are often presented as a monolith in the media, current research signals that there is a more complex picture. And the article actually goes on to talk about how that there is more of a departure specifically of white evangelicals or those who actually call themselves um, Christian uh, that's within the um, Gen Xer and the millennium, the millennial age group that is departing from these particular uh, shelved issues like abortion, same-sex marriage, and sexuality. And they are actually seeing themselves departing from the same sensibilities that maybe their predecessors are holding and um, actually um, uh, gen, um, uh, are using their bully pulpits, pulpits rather in the media to uh, espouse and actually uh, tell everybody we don't want that up in America. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was you know definitely some things that were not surprising um, and somewhat disheartening. You know, things like the eighty percent of Americans identified as white Christians back in nineteen seventy six, and that demographic is now down to forty four percent. That, that there's your deep, um, the departure um, from the evangelical into maybe mainline Protestantism. Um, and there's also the growth of the N-O-N-E nuns as well. Um, so um, I just talked a couple weeks ago about um, Russell Moore and Beth Moore, no relation, and how they left the Southern Baptist Convention um, in separate reasons, but uh, these were some very notable, prominent people in the SBC who um, are going to be taking uh, some people with them. They will definitely have followers. My mother was heartbroken when, when Beth Moore left. Yeah? Wow. Yeah, interpret that however you choose to, but uh, she was really, really heartbroken to know that uh, Beth Moore was no longer, uh, that Beth Moore was willing to get upset about Trumpism. Wow. Yeah. You know, we talk about this kind of thing quite a lot on the nonprofits. And, and it's something that I, I'm kind of realigning to, I think, be more of a 
a goal that I really like. And that's, that is this shift of Christians, not away from Christianity in general, because I think it's maybe, even though that would be like my, my ideal fantasy world, I, I think it's maybe not as realistic. And I think pushing people in this direction where like you could hold on to your belief, but like, God damn, I was, I've never been so excited to hear that Gen Xers and millennials, which are getting tired of the culture war because it really feels like sometimes that group are the people who perpetuate the culture wars the most. I mean, like definitely, obviously older generations did it too, but they could sort of pass on the mantle. So all I've known are people in that sort of range doing this. Um, so hearing that like, that many people are getting exhausted with the culture wars is so exciting to think that like I, I would much rather talk about you know like actual concerns like we spent the first half of the show talking about healthcare and things like that those things matter to me arguing over like uh, uh, you know some focus on the family bullshit about like oh you know gay liberation they're gonna convert your kids they're coming for your kids with the gay agenda kind of thing that's it's so old and haggard and it really accomplishes nothing. Um, so I, yeah, I love this move towards the religious nuns and the um, sort of uh, cultural Christians. I think it's a really good direction for our society to be going in, which mm-hmm. is the yeah. theme of the segment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it reminds me of, um, and, and I believe that we've seen this before. Well, you know, depending on how old you are up in here, uh, like in the sixties when you had like the rise of the hippies, right? Um, you had a segment of now uh, baby boomers who were departing from some of the values that their predecessors of the silent generation and, you know, um, and the lost generation, I think that they were called previous to that, uh, held dear. You know, like a lot of them were, uh, and and I think that like, you know, some of the catalysts with that were like the Vietnam War. Uh, their parents oftentimes uh, were supporters of World War II, uh, right? They participated in like, you know, um, uh, the gathering of the tin cans, eating more spam uh, and, um, you know, holding on to uh, the recycling more, like, you know, donating nylons and things like that. Everything for the war effort, right? So when you had the Vietnam War come around, you had like a the sensibility like, oh, we can go ahead and go back to that, you know, everybody band together so that we can win this war like we did in World War II. But the generation that came after them was like, no. This is a this is a horrible war that we shouldn't even be part of it. We shouldn't even be in Vietnam. You know, we are and and the, you are sending your drafting uh, young people over to this um, this war that should not be uh, fought to die. You know, and so and and I see and I almost see like you know a, a re- uh, recycling. I don't know if it's a bad, lack of a better term, but you know this uh, this turning again to you know, that same type of mindset to these uh, Gen Xers and also uh, millennials and also the in-between called the Xennials to um, to like actually depart from these uh, same, I would call it, you know, yes, a resurgence rather, of, mm-hmm. of the, that are departing from these same like, you know, shelved issues like abortion, same-sex marriage, et cetera, et cetera. So it is exciting to see. Mm-hmm. So this article, um from Salon.com, the white Gen X and millennial evangelicals, evangelicals are losing their faith, um, was taking a lot of their data from 
a, uh, a published study from the Public Religion Research Institute that just came out. Mm -hmm. um, they took, they did over, or about, I should say, just under 500,000 phone interviews from people over the past seven years, over a course of seven years. I think it was ending in um, 2019, the, uh, the last of it. And they asked people about their religion, their age, their race, ethnicity, geography, and political preference. Um, so they, um, this is a nonprofit um, organization that was wanting to look into this data because like the, the US Census Bureau um, stopped collecting data about religion in the 1950s, um, mm -hmm. separation in church and state and, and all. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it is good to have these, this data here. Um, I didn't really dig deep into the Public Religion Research Institute um, and whether or not they have any biases or, um, but it, I found it to be um, a, a good signal that um, the CEO, Robert P. Jones um, had written a book quite too long, The Legacy of White Supremacy in American Christianity. Um, that kind of leads me to a more of a think that this might be some, uh, you know, and then if you have 500,000 people that you're talking to and they and you do the um, the data correctly, I'm, I'm hoping that this uh, is showing that we're, we're heading in the right direction. Um, one thing that um, was a little disheartening is that um, there seems to be a slowing of the loss of Christians, uh, whether, you know, when we, when, like I said, we're going from um, white Christians at 80% and now down to 44, um, th there is an increase in the non-religious and there is an increase of the um, don't really cares. Um, that is, is, is helpful, um, though we are seeing, again, a, a slowing of the increase in those people. So um, I'd like to remind everyone to, to pull their atheist t-shirts out and uh, be visible, I guess. Indeed. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about PRRI. Um, I actually subscribe to their newsletter and I have read White Too Long. Um, it's And I recommend it. Uh, and um, Robert uh, Jones is actually a Christian. Uh, and he, in that particular book, he uses data and also history to show the um, uh, basically, you know, the white Christian church and white supremacy uh, working some symbiotically, and um, and the data that he actually pulls. Uh, was from like a lot of the research that, you know, because this is his, well, he's the CEO of it. So like he, he founded the nonprofit um, was um, to even showing like voting patterns of like white Christians, whether they are Catholic or mainline or even considered themselves evangelicals, which is more like the um, uh, non-denominational uh, or even like a Baptist um, de denomination of, of these particular sects and actually showed that a lot of them voted very similarly. You know, like uh, even like when we were talking about previously about like how they, um, how like, uh, what was it like the last segment about, like how like a lot of these um, uh, particular groups like voted for Trump and they had more conservative values and that's what they, and 
you know, that they kind of lean on. And um, so he actually talks about like, you know, some of the history that goes into what like uh, what the mind frame, I guess, you know, for, you know, lack of correlation that um, actually is showing um, when, when it comes to, you know, what um, what these groups are actually passionate about or their or what what do they consider their issues. Um, but the, the organization itself is nonpartisan. And um, and I'm hoping that, you know, when it comes to like uh, having conversations like this or even if the people who are in uh, the group, because I, I believe that the article did preface that, um, you do have a group of 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 evangelicals or white evangelicals that's within that age group that is trying to make changes from the inside you know and if there and and a lot of it has to do with really having these conversations about well you know well maybe these you know, maybe these uh, these issues that we're holding so near and dear are problematic. Maybe they hurt people. Maybe they other. You know, there's an othering of others. Maybe we need to, you know, reexamine that. And um, and and so like I'm glad I'm glad that this particular organization exists, even though like it is ran by you know ran by a Christian. But at the same time, what I am seeing and what I got from the book itself is like a a person that is taking data in history and not being afraid to actually face it head on and how it has shaped a nation. Hmm. Yeah, you know, our our country is getting more diverse. Uh, Our media is getting more diverse. I mean, uh, people aren't gathering around the water cooler to talk about what was on channel three at seven o'clock last night because everybody is on youtube everybody has five million channels and so we're, we're getting better representation we're getting younger folks who are less squigged out by the existence of, of queer people and you know there's a, a lot to be really hopeful to uh but i you know a, a couple of years ago i was at an art museum and i saw a piece by uh george Roderick, the famous uh, cajun painter uh and he, he talked about how uh, when a culture starts to die, it becomes kind of a, a caricature of itself. There's this sort of death mm-hmm. rattle where it's like this almost uh, cartoonish version of itself. And, and Dr. Daryl Ray talks about something similar in his book, The God Virus, when he talks about sort of the, uh, the groundswell of fundamentalism that comes as a response to sort of the dying off of the God virus in a lot of ways. And I would really like to choose to see what is going on in the divisiveness of our country right now and sort of the the white nationalism and everything that we could tie to Trumpism and, and these different things as a as a sort of death rattle, as a uh, like sort of final gasp. But I, I guess I'm not entirely convinced that we are ready for a step forward. I mean, the last four or five years have been really heartbreaking in so many ways. And yeah, there are more queer people on TV. And there's also a lot of queer people on TV being used as a rallying cry and as a punching bag in so many of these communities. I, uh, I, I read this article with some hopefulness but I'm I'm just not convinced that the numbers that they were using really really showed that. Yeah, I think it's important to remember that while like like as we've all said, this is this is good feeling that like there were still a, a massive amount of people who were able to go out and vote for you know Trump and his sort of like flavor of uh, uh, evangelical culture that he was kind of pushing in America. Like he still got a lot of. That yeah. he say again. 
Oh, uh, just the, the, the very least that he was courting, even if he's not a representative yes. of that culture, he earned that culture's vote for a lot of reasons. Exactly. I, I just, and I just wanted to even preface that even more that in actuality, when we saw a Trump come up, that was just a reaction to what was already there. You know, this this was mm. absolutely a um, a backlash or like a, an answering to the previous administration. Right. And and so and then with all of that came with all of this other stuff and this gunk that we said, oh, I didn't even know that that actually existed. Oh, I didn't even know that we othered people. I didn't even know that you can actually call people a uh, say on um, and get that, you know, we are opening our borders to shithole countries. Like, yeah, that's the thing. And I'm like, well, that that's already been there. It's It's not something that is shocking. But I think that what needs to happen, and this is what I'm kind of getting from reading this, is that it 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 does not just say, oh, isn't that terrible? But it has to be to a point where we're saying that this is something that should not be accepted any longer. We as a country are more diverse. We are growing as a nation. We uh, we are a, a place of uh, many different cultures that are you know melding into you know mm -hmm. the American experience, and and because of that, um, a lot of these older ways of thinking that are problematic, it's time that we start to dismantle them. There are a lot, I agree, of diverse communities here in um, our nation, um, especially on the coasts. Um, and But then we also have some very insular communities um, looking at the uh, some of the information coming out of this, this research is of the 10 least diverse counties in the U.S., that would be um, uh, 10,000 people or or greater, eight of those are in Mississippi. Mm. So um, what do we do to try to increase the diversity, um, to try to increase cultural sensitivity, to normalize, um, you know, the smell of curry if you're not used to it, or um, all the different um, things that you might look at and say, oh, that's ucky. Um, I'm not used to that. I, I, it's something new to me. So I'm going to um, try to, that it, there's just this, this otherness that, as you said, Cynthia, you know, the othering that we need to, to keep uh, an eye out for. Let's yeah. all move to Mississippi. Uh, well, I, I was just going to say, you know, I, I don't want to tell like any queer folk or any like uh, POC that are like, you know, not ready to become activists, like move to Mississippi, like make friends with a bigot. Like, but that said, I, I do think direct exposure to these people is what cures a lot of this ancient kind of stuff. Like knowing a queer person and being like, Wow, you know they they were actually nice, and I I don't think they were trying to make me gay, and I have a hunch that they actually probably don't eat babies or anything like that. Like it, it just just knowing these people, I think, is the strongest antidote. But at the same time, again, I I'm definitely not telling any queer people like move to Mississippi and make friends with bigots. Just if you do live in Mississippi, you know, like and you are fortunate enough to be in the circumstances where you can shine a little bit brighter. Maybe you're one of the few people who has a supportive family or something. I, I think you doing that can go so far. And if there's a better motivation than maybe changing the minds of bigots, it's that there are probably a lot of other like queer kids who are like, you know, the children of those people 
but you could shine and you could reach and like telling them that they're okay. And th these kind of these things, I feel like the, these lights are kind of like, they reach across, you know, and it, it inspires other people and it, it's a slow, a slow process, but um, yeah, I do think the representation really matters so much. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I can always take me and my Jamaican mama and go down to Mississippi, open up in a restaurant, and then cook a lot of curry dishes. We we do that mm -hmm. a lot, so I, we got you. So can we do some last thoughts on this last article going around the table, Christy? <laughs> yeah, uh, I guess I would just say that I would like to be hopeful. Uh, and I, I do see the culture war shifting. I, I don't know that it's really getting better. I don't know that people are leaving it. I feel more like it has moved from a culture war to more like a cultural insurgency. You know, uh, I think about the like uh, intentional um, misinformation campaigns and, and things like that, whether we're talking about like foreign government actors or just a bunch of assholes getting together on 4chan and deciding to create a national conversation around kink and, and all of this kind of garbage. I, uh, I, I'd like to be hopeful. I've just I've been doing this for a couple of years and I am struggling to maintain it. Sure. Mm -hmm. Cynthia? Um, well, I, I try to lean on to hope. I, you know, my my work that I, I do and, and, you know, and as case management, you know, makes me kind of do that. Uh, especially like when you are uh, facing people who are living with a chronic illness and, and especially if they've been living it with a long time, but they're still having issues like paying rent or, 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 or just being able to afford their medication, you know, just being that, you know, voice of reason to say, you know, no, we're, we're going to figure this out um, means so much uh, to, to a person who may not necessarily see, you know, the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel. And, um, and, and I think that when it comes to, you know, exposing ourselves to conversations like this about, you know, changing of the guards or, or even like um, a, a possibility that that can happen, I think that, you know, using hope to kind of drive us to keep doing this work is, is worthwhile. Agreed, yeah. agreed. Yeah. Um, I just try to keep in mind that um, the, the demographics are changing. Um, we are losing the the baby boomers are are slowly um leaving us and um so that's that's bringing this change to um i think a, a group that is less republican more democrat um peoples that are um, more diverse in their thinking um and um so that that is is hopeful for me awesome i love the nice nice positive flavor. We got a good diversity. We got some realism from Christy and ending on the positivity. Sorry, the you don't have to keep inviting me back if I'm just going to be negative about everything. <laughs> no, we I don't you, mean Christy. to be the contrarian, uh, although I do really look forward to reading all of the very angry YouTube comments saying 10 different ways. Atheism is just the belief, the lack of belief and I got it. I, I get it. I get it. I just think that our conversation could have more. Maybe we can get 10, 10 comments in the, in the in the YouTube comment. That'd be great. Yeah. Or, <laughs> yeah, or email us. Tell us what you think, what Speaking you like, and what you don't which, like. Actually, uh, before we wrap up here, I do want to remind our uh, viewers again that we do value your feedback. 
Uh, tell us what you like and what you don't like in the comments or email us at nonprofits at atheist-community.org. And as with all of our shows, the links on today's topics and the news we discussed are going to be available in the description below. So feel free to pause the video, peruse through the material and, you know, call us out on anything that we messed up. Uh, and please, please, please don't take our word for it. Please do the research yourself. We are just random people online. We are not, uh, you know, uh, the perfectly reliable people just because we're in front of a camera. Uh, but make sure you come back at, after doing your research to uh, hear the rest of the discussion and add your two cents to it. Uh, but with that, everybody, I think we have come to the conclusion of our show. Um, it's been so marvelous to be your conductor. And with that, viewers, we will see you all next week. Bye. Great job. <laughs>